What's up, everybody? It's another Stand Up Fight podcast. I'm your host, Rob Eastman, other known as Coach Eastman or the Tattooed Life Coach. Thank you guys for tuning in. I want to thank my sponsors, Plates and Palettes. They're amazing, great food, healthy. Part of a healthy mind is a healthy body. And uh, they're huge mental health advocates, so please go check them out in Bountiful on the corner of 4th North and 5th West. Again, that's Plates and Pallets. We love you guys. All right, today I've known of this lady for a long time, and we've never had a chance to link up, so I finally got her in studio. Mindy, how are you? Good. Thank you very much for having me today. I'm glad you're here. So it's been like, I feel like it's been about a year. It's been longer than that. <laughs> Maybe two. <laughs> so I know, all I know is that you're in the similar industry as me, helping people through addiction or trauma or whatever, but I'm going to let you explain what you do now, but then we're going to get into why do you do that. So my name is Mindy Andrade, and I am the founder and CEO of Strength From Within, and it's all a bit about mental health, addiction, overcoming obstacles. So yeah, very similar industries. Um, yeah, I've been doing it for about four years full time and I absolutely love it. It's my soul food, yeah. helping people overcome some obstacles and just really showing up for themselves. It's such a beautiful, beautiful experience to be part of their journeys. So yeah, I'm awesome. honored to have have you here with me and me with you <laughs> yeah no I'm excited to hear all about that so let's uh, tell my listeners a little bit about you okay so um, I am a child of parents who were addicts uh, my mom in particular so addiction has always been a part of my life growing up throughout my entire adulthood to even till today um, Starting about um, early teens, preteens, um, I really started to get involved in the drug scene myself because it was all around all the time, right? It, yeah, monkey see, monkey do. Exactly. As much as we don't want that. Exactly. And my mom was uh, basically a single mom. She, you know, did her best and had children very young. I mean, she, I have an older brother. She had him when she was 15 years old, had me when she was 18. And <clears throat> as a parent myself, now I can really relate to how crazy that is, right? <laughs> I, I can't fathom um, being a parent. And so, you know, obviously when she was growing up, we were growing up with her. And so... About 12 years old is when I really started to experiment with drugs, um, hardcore drugs. Um, when I was in the seventh grade, I dropped out of school because it just wasn't for me. Right? Yeah. I, it, was, it was party. It was drug life. It was getting your necks fixed and, and just going from there. Um, <clears throat> when I was about in eighth grade, I, I joined a gang. I was part of a gang, and I was a gang member. For, I can feel that. Yeah, yeah. I was I was a gang member for quite a few years and got myself into a lot of crazy situations <laughs> where I look back and I'm like, Where oh, Where were you brought up? Um, I was I was born here in Utah, um, and about 12 years old, we moved to Portland, Oregon. Okay. 
And so that's where a lot of the craziness happened, right? It's, I started dabbling in it here before we moved up uh, to Portland. And when I got to Portland, it was, you know, balls to the walls, yeah. <laughs> right? It, it was full on. So, I, you know, I wasn't in school. I was just partying every day. That was just my normal thing. And, you know, really when I stop and I think, about the situation you know I was really wanting that connection I was really wanting to find my tribe I was wanting to be accepted I was wanting to be felt like I had a place yeah right and you know the gang life I mean that's kind of I feel like it's gangs and drug addicts like everybody's so accepting and so like that unfortunately that's that's uh, the landing pad for a lot of kids that are that don't find their groove yep. in elementary, junior high, and high school. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, it's definitely, um, you know, a need that I don't think that, that is talked about in the open. People just kind of hide in silence. And um, so moving forward, when I was about 15, um, things were so out of control. I mean, you know, I hadn't been to school in, in quite a few years. Um and I just really started to realize that if I didn't change, if I didn't start doing things for myself, my mom was my role model, right? Yeah. I'm seeing firsthand what this is going to do to me, right? And so I happened to stumble across a, a friend um, or met this individual that his family just just loved me they were like a good family you know perfect role models well perfect quote unquote <laughs> <laughs> what is that um but so I actually went to live with them when I was 15 years old um for about six months and you know just having somebody who loved me enough who thought I was important to invest time into a broken soul like me mm-hmm. was so transformational in my journey right and although you know I had a very hard time being vulnerable trusting people which is still a battle yeah. <laughs> right yeah our, our foundations are cracked right yeah, so it's a, it's a constant process but just having that experience where like I said I was I was worth something I was important um, it really was the stepping stone that I needed in my life and that that very next that very next school year I actually went back to school so I was in ninth grade at this time starting ninth grade and I was then overachiever okay so I went from we overdo everything as addicts man (laughs) absolutely I was like I got this I don't need anybody I I can do this on my own like I got this so I literally you know, went from an addict, drug, drug person and gang member to a 4.0 student the next, the next year, student body president. (laughs) Okay. Like involved in all these clubs, like one extreme to the other. Right. And I ended up, um, only staying with that family for about six months. And then, like I said, I, I could do it on my own. So before my 16th birthday, or it was actually right after my 16th birthday, I moved out and I've been on my own ever since. Wow. 
So um, I put myself, I was doing like the dual enrollment thing. So I um, started going to college while I was doing my high school, um, focusing on the medical field, mental health field, because, you know, just me being me, I really needed to understand the whys, right? Before I can accept something, I really need to know what it is. Yeah, I was, I'm the same way. Right. And it's, it's, it's okay. <laughs> it's just part of who I am. Um, and so I ended up actually graduating high school as a junior. Wow. As a junior in high school. So I never had a senior year, which of course now I look back and I think, hmm, I kind of missed out. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, it was, I was in a different mode. I was in a different phase. And, you know, I always really struggled with really good connections with other people. Because during that time, I didn't have a lot in common with these other people. Seventh, yeah. eighth, ninth, tenth graders. Like, they had no clue what was going on behind closed doors. They don't know that I was getting death threats and doing all these things. Like crazy stuff, Right. And, you know, it's, it's been really remarkable as just now I have children. I have three children of my own. And it's been really remarkable for me to see them getting to those stages of where I had the most trauma in my life and how crazy it is, right? I think that sometimes we just accept our stories and we just kind of go through life and we don't really realize the impact until we can relate, yeah. right? And so, you know, obviously now, um, you know, I have such a huge passion for especially our youth, right? Because that's yeah. that's where my heart is. I can understand, I can relate, I can, you know, be compassionate and empathetic with people who've, who are feeling like they're stuck and they're trapped. And it's 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 a beautiful thing to to be able to reach out to these young individuals who are kind of lost trying to find their way and just give them guidance and hope, mm -hmm. right? There's so much about this hope and this motivation. Like, this does not have to be your life. These cards that you were dealt, yeah, they suck, right? Let, let's just face it, right? Sometimes it's not ideal. Sometimes we didn't grow up with the white picket fences. Right. But what are we going to do today? What, how are we going to transform so that isn't our continual life? Yeah. Right? So, so yeah, that's a little bit about my earlier story. I love that. I want to I touch back on that. You talked about time, and I feel like in society in general, time is something that people are not giving freely, but they're giving things. Like you're important. Here's a new car. You're important. Here's some new clothes. Here's a new phone. And none of those things make us feel good about ourselves. for a minute. There's a minute that it helps us so that we're not sad or whatever. But that personal connection, that personal time, um, I feel like parents in general, and I think it has a lot to do with, uh, cost of living. Now mm -hmm. everybody's got to work. There's no chance for, you know, some people work in two, three jobs and then to come home and give each kid individual time. But I feel like if you don't give it to them now, you're going to waste all that money on rehabs, on <laughs> therapy, on all of these things. Um, so talk about that. You said six months, but it had such a huge impact. 
what talk about those the specific the time the what was it that made you feel important so i've got a lot of kids who i've had this same conversation about what you just talked about in the last week about they don't feel important and they don't feel this and that and why didn't their family want them or you know different things like that well and i think that you're exactly right i think that you know even as a parent, you know, we, we think that the more we can provide for them materialistically, that's showing them that we care about them, that they're loved. And that's far from the truth, right? They want ice cream dates. They want one-on-one atten- time and attention and undivided attention, right? That's how we make them feel important. That's how they know that they're worthy of our time, yeah. right? oftentimes people say that the best thing that we can give somebody is our time right because it's something that we can never get back right that's valuable that's valuable to these children and you know the more time that we can spend investing in the relationships with our children the better the 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 better relationship that we're going to have and especially as they grow up and they're teenagers they're going to face some difficult things yeah and i want to be able to be their first person they go to. I think a one thing that keeps coming up for me with a lot of people is that we're never the we're never the king in our own castle. So where we've gone away from the neighborhood raising your kid to, you know, everybody wants to keep their family secrets or whatever. Talk to the parents out there right now that maybe they have a kid who they can't control anymore and let them know I think it's okay to find somebody who's been through some stuff and let them coach them up. Yeah, no, and that's a very good point, and I was actually kind of thinking about that particular topic uh, just on my drive over here, because so many times, you know, in my own personal life, and, you know, my mom is still in active addiction, and so many times I wanted to be the savior. I wanted to come in and rescue. I wanted to be the people pleaser. I wanted to be in control of what they're going to do right and I just got to a point where we get so burnt out Mm -hmm. trying to control other people and so it's like we really have to stop and and think like what is in my control right there's so much about life and it's all about balance but what is in my control and what is not and sometimes we can almost be a little too close to be a huge mentor or a guide Mm -hmm especially teenagers right well I think with teenagers I don't know about you but for me man I was probably 13 or 14 maybe by the time I was sick of hearing my parents voices yep it didn't matter if they were right I could have had anybody come up and say the exact same thing my dad just said and I would have been like he knows what he's talking about dad (laughs) it's like dude I've been telling you that for 12 years now (laughs) yep and, but I and, think it's and, super important that way. And I think people have a hard time letting anybody else come in and try and teach their kid this or that. And look, you see it with sports. You see it. My kid needs time. My kid, you know, it's, it's a, the keeping up with the Joneses philosophy has failed so bad. Yeah. And we've got off track of what, what keeps people in line. And I feel like mothers love to mother their kids and this and that. I was just barely talking about it today. It, Once your kid can walk, you need to let him walk. Quit holding him. Like, you can snuggle him at night or whatever. Once your kid can talk, he needs to stop crying for things. Like, as a mother, as a father, it's your job to teach them, to prepare them, not protect them for the rest of their life so that you're you're ultimately clipping their wings. I mean, that's how I feel. 
when you're not allowed, like if you're going to control something, control the impact of the fail, but let them fail. Yep. Yeah, no. And that, and that's so true. And obviously working with people who, you know, are in, you know, active substance abuse, you know, we see the family struggling, right? The family is so strong and oftentimes it is the moms, right? Because we do have that motherly love and we want to, you know, our kids are hurting. Yeah. We want to be the savior. We want to be their safe zone. Protect them, protect yeah. the family. Yeah. And uh, the other word that comes to mind is conditioning. We condition ourselves when you sit in the eye of the storm for so long, it becomes your norm. Yep. When your kid is struggling and you don't know anything about it, you that's when you reach out. Don't wait six, seven months till it's a full-blown addiction or behavioral change or, or whatever. But when your heart's involved. It's difficult. Yeah. And usually your friends are around like, what are you going to do about this? You're like, shut up. I'm doing what I can. Like, <laughs> that's, <laughs> and that's exactly that's what it one. is, right? It's, that's exactly what it is. And, you know, we, we get so torn, especially when they're so close. These relationships are so close that we get torn between, you know, our logical mindset and our emotional mindset. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes if we're not prepared, if we, if we don't know how to kind of bridge that gap, our emotions are going to run the show every time. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, a lot about what I do as far as um, teaching families and teaching those that are closest that might maybe be quote unquote enablers is, is to really learn those techniques, right? Really start giving them tools and things that they can utilize where they can start to identify their boundaries or lack yeah. thereof. Right. I think boundaries are usually the second. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Unfortunately. Right. But, but let's get real. Like, did you learn about boundaries growing up? No. That's the other one is, is when it's your kid or your family member and boundaries, it's constantly being blurred that the line in the sand is being scrubbed off and moved two inches back. And over a year's time, you're pretty far off of where you said the things that you weren't willing to do. And, uh, I think that's ultimately why I got into coaching because I felt like I can do for these kids in a different setting that the parents want to do, but can't because they are so close. Yep. And, uh, it's been a, an amazing journey for me too. never in a million years when people hear like Rob Eastman is in the schools. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> like what? He didn't even go to school in the first place. Now he's back. Like it's, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but I never in a million years thought I would, but I feel like, when you've been through something, you have a piece to a puzzle that you have to share. Yeah. And we were just talking about this one is everybody's been through something, but a lot of people don't want to share their story, which leads me to believe if you're not willing to share it you're still carrying shame. Yep. So that one trauma that you had as a kid could be the one thing that your neighbor needs or your kid needs or somebody down the street or somebody, you know, and I just feel it's so important that we need to get to, the point of being vulnerable and and sharing all of our fails because everybody's failing all day long and they think that they're pretty good hiders or you know and th- that it's not going to do any good but it's I, I feel like that's the best teacher yeah no absolutely and I know that I listened to one of your other podcasts uh, a week or two ago and you guys were talking about removing the mass right mm-hmm. and I'm like oh this is this is where it resonates this is this is where it's at you know getting real and honest and vulnerable with ourselves and not allowing ourselves to live in shame or guilt 
and especially you know when when we're holding on to certain things that are were part of our childhood right where we really didn't have that control as children you know why should we continue to let it affect us now right and so it's it is so important to get that get to that place and sometimes it takes time to well it all always takes times to get to that point where you're comfortable enough yeah I think a lot of it too is the is the family structure too because it can be passed on through generations mm-hmm. we don't talk about our family stuff <laughs> keep it in the family and that just breeds sickness and you know we have I, me and my mom talk about it all the time you're you're only as sick as your secrets and people are always like you know my dad was a politician and successful in all these things and people are always like aren't you worried about sharing these things with other people I'm like I'm worried about somebody else telling everybody else I'm gonna be the first one <laughs> like, I, I'm not keeping these ghosts in my closet anymore I'm gonna tell them myself so then nobody has any dirt on me yeah so and and as I did that it was like the more people loved me which was the uh, the complete opposite of what my mind told me of what my belief in my religion or society was saying and all of that was just a big lie. And I think a lot of people still live in that fear of being found out or like, dude, everybody on the street has done something really stupid and you're going to be just fine. Yeah, no. And, and, and that's exactly right. We get, sometimes we can get so stuck in our minds that, you know, we, we're almost fearful of what type of reactions we're going to get. And just like you, I mean, the more authentic and vulnerable I can be, the more people I attract, mm-hmm. right? The more people are like, wait a minute, you've had screw ups. You're not just like <laughs> some, you know, you're not just, you know, this educated person who's lived in a white per- perfect house and with the white pick fence, you know, no, <laughs> it, it, we can come from a place of understanding and that's where we really find those connections right so it's not like we're judging other people no we've been there we've done that like I'll be the first to admit you know I haven't always done things you know perfect and that's okay yeah I think the the when it became easier for me is I spent so much time wearing masks that by the end of the day I'd get home and I'd spent so much time being fake that I was exhausted and thinking about all the people I just pretended to that if they ever find me out, it's like, no way I'm going to be me. And then I'm going to know who really wants to be around me. And it's like, judge me. See ya. You don't like me. Cool. Later. Yeah. Not going to waste any more time there. I'm tired, you know, and I just wanted to have some real genuine people around me. And you find that that can be lonely at times and, and not everybody's ready for that type of, uh, vulnerability, but the ones who are is it's such a deep connection and such an amazing thing to have. And I think that's been my, my easiest go to like sharing right off the bat. I'm an addict and just watch people's faces and you, they either bounce or they're like, Oh yeah, we got seven of those in my family. <laughs> it's like, perfect. Yeah. Now I know where I fit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no. And, and you're so right. Like oftentimes, you know, just like when you were talking about, your group gets a lot smaller, right? When we start to remove our masks and we're starting to rediscover who we are underneath this, it's, it's scary Mm -hmm. because we don't even know, you know, we, we've lived our whole lives living under this mask of perfection that we are so out of touch with who we are as individuals, right? We have no clue. We've just morphed 
to be accepted. We've morphed to feel appreciated or wanted, right? Yeah. And it affects so many different aspects of our lives. I don't care if it's a personal relationship or work or the neighbors next door. Right? Yeah, I was going to say work, especially with this coronavirus. I was, you see a bunch of funny memes like perfect opportunity for you to not go back to the job you hate. Yep. It's like the relationship that you're not even happy in, but you do everything to keep it afloat. Like there's just so much wasted time yeah. and energy on that. There's life after divorce. There's life after the job you thought you needed and all of these different things. And that's when, when I found my passion and doing what I do now, originally it doesn't make that much money. <laughs> and so everybody's like, get a real job. <laughs> and in that moment that I was like, what does that even mean anymore? <laughs> I've never had a real job. I hated everyone. I'm a terrible employee. Yep. It's like, how am I going to make this work? Yeah, no, and, and it's it's kind of funny that you said that because um, four years ago, um, you know, I had a great career, right? I was, you know, high executive management, you know, successful as of what society deems yeah. as successful, you know, six-figure salary, like, I was living large, right? And here I was, you know, after 17 years of being married, I was divorced. I had three kids. I was raising on my own. And I was like, I got this, right? (laughs) I was miserable. Every day I woke up, I hated going to my job. It sucked, right? And, And they actually had a big riff in my company, a reduction in force. And I just happened to be one of those people on the chopping block. Man, I peeled out of that parking lot so quick, and I was like, "All right, now what?" Yeah, <laughs> right. Reinvention time. Yeah, and and I went through the same thing. Like, okay, do I need to fit what society deems is successful? What I feel like I need to do to be wanted or accepted in other people's lives, or am I going to pursue my passion? Right. And the same thing, like you said, as far as, you know, at the beginning, I was making no money. I was doing everything (laughs) like (laughs) donation based. You know what I mean? Like everything is donation based. I just want to give. I just want to be a mentor. I just want to, you know, be a catalyst for other people. I had no clue what that looked like. Right. And obviously over time, you know, same same like you, like, you know, things just kind of start to fall into place. Right. And so I initially had started down, um, the addiction recovery route and got my interventionist uh, endorsements and all of that. And then it really started to branch off in a different direction. And so, of course, going back to school and doing all these things. So now I'm actually a clinical trauma specialist because the more that I was learning about addiction, the more that I was working with people, the more that it was just slapping a Band-Aid. Yeah. Right? Yes. The more that I'm like, this, this is not what I should be focusing on. I need to be focused on the trauma. Why are these people, you know, feeling like they have to run away or find an escape? Like there has to be more. Yeah. That's where I went from, from adult. I love all you adult addicts with all the damage done. But if we can work on prevention and help it from never happening and, and heal the trauma and help people grow from that this world will be another completely different place. Absolutely. Well, and and just like you were saying, you know, oftentimes our addictions roll from one thing to another, right? Yeah. 
And, you know, so if it's not substance abuse, it might be eating, it might be, you know, sex, it might be toxic relationships, right? We're always running. Yeah, I'm going to say the gym. I own a gym. gym. Everybody's like thinking if they get fit, all of a sudden things are going to be better. And it's like, you can't outrun a bad attitude, buddy. Right. It doesn't matter (laughs) how much you lift. It's like some magic, magic present at the end of if you make a hundred thousand a year if i have the cute girl if i have the car i want if 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 that's a dead end yep 100 percent of the time but talk about the trauma because i still have yet in my 42 years of life to meet somebody who hasn't experienced some kind of trauma yeah. some are just not willing to look at it yeah well and, and a lot of times when i work with a lot of my trauma clients it's really about self-discovery, right? Really figuring out um, what type of things we're continuing to hold on to, right? And, and working through that because there's so many connections yeah. that oftentimes if we're not aware, we haven't made that correlation, right? Yeah. We don't know why we're doing these things as adults until somebody's like, well, have you thought about this, right? And and there's a thing called ACEs, which is adverse childhood experiences, where it really transforms who we are in our in our fundamental years of how we grow up as adults, hmm. right? And like I said, if it's not you know substance abuse, it's going to be something else, right? Yeah. And a lot of people really struggle with toxic type relationships, right? We are either the people pleasers, or some people can have narcissistic tendencies. Or, you know, one extreme or the other. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And it's very hard to navigate that. Right? It's hard to navigate what's healthy, what's not. Where should I have boundaries? Where should I not? Why am I even allowing this? Yeah. Right? I think for me, I grew up being bullied. And so I got really good at being whatever you needed me to be. Because that way you wouldn't be physically beating me up or calling me names. Mm -hmm. Which that really hurt me. Me faking who I was didn't hurt me that bad that doesn't end well if you're listening to that Mm -hmm. but I think bullying and not fitting in especially at a young age you want to be a part of something and when you're the lone kid at recess or the ugly redhead or you know whatever it is I didn't have the skills to deal with that and I still think the bullying policy is crap they don't they need to have the kids sit knee to knee and figure it out they need to become friends they need to figure out all of those different things and and uh but I think that something that simple being made fun of as a little girl or a boy that you start believing that and game on absolutely no it's it's uh, it's a hundred percent spot on and i really think that it lies within our families right how are we teaching our children to notice those people who were eating alone or getting bullied are they going to be the ones that participate in that are they going to be the ones that can really start tapping into the emotional side of things and putting themselves in those people's situations right yeah and it all lies within the parents right and that relationship yeah so much especially in the world right now there's so much anger at everybody else it's like 100 percent of these problems start underneath your roof Mm -hmm. what are you doing Every day, are you protecting your kid from being bullied or are you preparing him to be bullied? If that's the case, if he's been bullied for the last five years, pretty good chance it's not going to stop. What tools do you give him to be able to cope with that and know it has nothing to do with him or her and it has everything to do with everybody else? Yep. 
No, and, and it definitely goes back to what we were talking about earlier about investing time into our children, right? If we don't take the time to invest and have a solid relationship with our children, do you think that they're going to come running to us when they're getting bullied? No, they're going to be sitting in isolation and silence and internalizing every single negative word, every single thing that they've been called, every, and they start to take that on. Yeah. Right? I've seen a ton of cutting over the past five years of doing this. I'd say close to 80% of the teens at that by that time, they're, they're doing some sort of self-harm. And that's a tough one, but that's what I speak a lot because I was, I only have a daughter and I know what I was like. And so my main goal in this life right now is to make dang sure she knows her worth that no man's opinion of her will ever dictate who and where she goes and that she can defend herself. <laughs> so she, she's good boxer. She can wrestle and she's confident. And I know that we're just hitting the teen year, so all that can blow up in my face. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, I keep hoping, you know. Yeah. But I think that the, that preparation, and then and then boys as well, preparing, helping them understand what it means to be a man, being tough and holding on to your feelings is not in that list. And if it is, you need to break that family chain. Yeah, and and there's there's such a correlation between daughters and their fathers and sons and their moms right what are we teaching them what are we how are we creating that safe place right so for a lot of moms if we're talking about the, the mother role it's providing that safe zone where they can feel like they can express emotion right without enabling without coddling without you know giving them that space where it's okay I'm so right. glad you said that because I was going to be like, safe space, the word in itself gives me the heebie-jeebies because people <laughs> want to coddle and they want to protect them from the exterior world. And that's a place for you to prepare little warriors. Yep. That's to, to bleed and get dirt in the wound and get up so that when it happens when you're not there, they know what to do. Yeah. Well, and, and even certain certain questions or the dialect that we have with our children I have two teenage boys and I also have a have a daughter and you know my conversations with my sons are a little bit different than they are with my daughter right and so the conversations with my son are you know asking them if, if they come to me with an experience how did that make you feel mm -hmm. right let's start tapping into that let's not you know take into account that you know men don't cry no how did that make you feel like start being aware start asking them these difficult questions where oh mom's asking me how i feel well let me stop and think about that yeah. <laughs> right i think yeah I and, think and, it, and it's all about the awareness right the more that we can have these open conversations where it's not like the taboo topics or the elephant in the room yeah but it's just normal conversation the more comfortable that they will feel in just being aware of it in, within themselves right yeah and, and the same thing that goes for, you know, daughters and the dads, right? You guys hold a very special key into what your child is going to allow when they grow up. What type of respect should I, should I allow? What type of, like, how does these relationships look like, right? We have a huge fundamental thing. And I think that even 
as moms or dads, you know, teaching our, our daughters in particular that, no, that we don't need to rely on a man. Yeah. Okay. For to do whatever. You can do it yourself. Right. So you better believe, you know, I'll replace a deck with my daughter. I'm like, <laughs> no, we're going to do this. We're going to bust out the saws. We're going to do this. We're. That's just how, how they've been brought up. Right. Yeah. I think that's important. And the same thing applies for my sons. I'm going to teach them how to cook. I'm going to keep teach them how to do their laundry because I don't want them to go off to college and have to shack up with the first girl that comes around because they don't have clean underwear. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Let's get real. (laughs) Yeah. Dating by need rather than. Exactly. By a want. That's what I think in relationships. um, A lot of people forget that they are their kids normal. If mom and dad are screaming and yelling all the time, that's normal to your kids. It may be uncomfortable to them, but don't be mad when they get into a screaming, yelling relationship. And those are the hard things where you got to make the decision that it ultimately comes down to it's not about you anymore. And are you, is your relationship putting off the right vibe you want for your son or your daughter? Yep. And And it's so, so important because, you know, later on in life as adults, we go back to where we feel comfortable regardless if it was toxic, regardless if it's crazy or chaotic, nine times out of 10, that's where we'll retreat, right? So oftentimes people will come to me that are in domestic abuse situations or any type of abuse situations. And, you know, society is like, just leave, just, you know, why can't they just pack their stuff and get out? Because that's their known place. Yeah, that's the normal. That's the normal. The fear of the unknown is so great sometimes that staying where they know what's to be expected, they know what's going to happen next, they can identify the patterns, they know exactly when the wife or the husband come home, exactly what's going to go down, that's comfort to them, Yeah. right? In a twisted, toxic way. Yeah, it is sad and scary and happens daily. No, it, it, and it does. And I run a, a specific group you know, on Facebook called Codependent No More. And it really has to do with, you know, codependent people and toxic type relationships and, you know, exactly what we're talking about, right? Allowing certain type of toxicities to be our norm, right? And so it's it's a very good group. So if anybody is struggling with that, I would invite you out to, to join that group. Um, what was the name of it again? It's called Codependent No More. Right on Facebook. Right on Facebook. And it's it's linked up to um, my business page, Strength From Within. And um, I think I want, just want to touch on this. The other side of that is those of you that never fight or argue in front of kids and think that you're giving them the idea that everything's hunky dory, which isn't fair either. Absolutely. I'm glad that it's you like, mentioned I've that. I've never seen them like, yeah, they're faking it. Right. <laughs> like not talking or not arguing. Like every, everybody has an opinion and Absolutely. it's okay to chat about it. Yeah. Agree check to check the vol. Yeah. Check the volume of that conversation and yeah. choice words. But in general, you've got to let them know what's real. Yeah. And I don't know any relationships that are perfect. Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) But, but it's so true. I mean, you know, as parents, we don't realize that even if we're not fighting in front of the children, even if we're not, you know, having screaming bouts or, or whatnot, 
they can pick up on vibes. It's yeah. just like if you or I were to walk into a room and you can feel tension. You feel the tension. You don't know where it's coming from, but there's tension in the air. Yeah. They feel that, right? As much as we try and mask it, as much as we try and act like it's not going on, they're not dumb. Yeah. <laughs> right? Smart little things, man. It's crazy how uh, sponge-like they are mm. from such a young age. And it's really that monkey see, monkey do. Yeah. And it's kind of uh, scary. Yeah. If we, if we stop so and think about it. <laughs> when I first started training, I thought I was going to be a, you know, a personal trainer and learn all the cool ways to bench press and all that. And quickly found that nobody was there for that. And everybody had some trauma that they were working through. So that's when I swapped over to life coaching and, and using fitness as an outlet, but not the, not the end all for sure. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your day to day stuff. So, so what you guys do, where and how people can find you. So day-to-day stuff, um, I primarily work with a lot of trauma, right? I would say probably 90% of what I do is all trauma-based. Explain that because some people don't understand trauma. They think, oh, there was rape when really a being a single child, being brought up with no attention is trauma. Absolutely. And, and the thing of it is, is trauma is different for every single person, right? Some people can have, you know, like PTSD from isolated events. Some people can have something called CPTSD, which is complex, which is like ongoing type, type of trauma. But anything that holds you back or prevents you from being your true authentic self, right? And, and discovering what that even looks like right is a process is a journey and so a lot of what I do is is obviously trauma-based um of course I I am in the addiction realm as well so recovery helping people with resources doing interventions um, family counseling is huge right so if people struggle with a loved one um and they have no clue what to do Right. Sometimes it's just like you mentioned before, it's it's so important to have somebody else that we can kind of go to for guidance who can understand both sides of the fence. Yeah, I think it's major to have somebody that doesn't have the emotional attachment. Absolutely. Super easy to step back. Just think of it this way. It's always easy to tell your friends what they should do, right? Yeah. (laughs) Take it that way. It's It's always easier to look through looking from the outside, looking in and telling everybody what they need to do. Yeah, it's always funny. Sometimes if I'm struggling or something, I'll call up one of my friends and they'll always say, what would you tell your clients? And I'm like, no, but I'm looking to you. Yeah. You're supposed to tell me. Like, come on. I'm not in that mode right now, right? Sometimes we need those people who we know are going to, who are in the right place, who have the right the right motives, yeah. right? Who can be really instrumental and just like you said, who are not emotionally involved, it, hel- it definitely helps, keeps us a lot more logical. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I can be found on Facebook, um, just Strength From Within, or through my website, which is www.strength-from-within.com. Um, and yeah, I, I offer people... Um, the first session is always free. Do you like in person? Are you online? Are you I would all say, the above? Actually, right now, I would say 90% of all my stuff is virtual. 
right? I have clients. Do you do Zoom or is it? I do a lot of Zoom. Yep, I do a lot through Zoom, phone calls, really whatever the people are most comfortable with, right? Sometimes Zoom can be a little too close for them. (laughs) And so it's like, okay, whatever is okay with you at this stage in your healing process, that's totally fine with me, right? Um, So yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me and... Oh, I'm so glad that we had the chance to have this conversation. We covered a lot of different stuff, which I feel a lot of people need to be heard, especially in this time where everybody's been cooped up and Mm -hmm. starting to see that they may not like their relationship or they may not like themselves that much. And that all it really takes is stepping back, admitting that you're not as awesome as you thought you were (laughs) and getting some help. And that's something, I mean, this has been a huge, we get so caught up in other people's stuff that sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, but I forget about my own yep. and COVID saved my life, man. It gave me a chance to fall back in love with fitness and to work on myself and to get my ducks in a row. And, uh, every coach needs a coach, you know, and, and nobody's perfect. And I feel like, uh, if you guys need anything, feel free to reach out to either one of us at any time i'll put all of her stuff up on in the description of this podcast what would you tell if you have one thing to say one bit of advice we'll go some for the youth who may be experiencing living with a parent who's in addiction and then maybe something for uh the parents who are dealing with some trauma with a kid so for the youth know that you're worth it know that you're loved and you're good just the way you are right I don't think that we stop and we appreciate ourselves for what we do bring to the table and it's so important and reach out to those mentors reach out to these people who have been there who've done that it's not a scary thing I promise and the word I get a lot is burden yeah I don't want to be a burden yep I always tell people, the only burden is reading about you in the newspaper. Yep. Like, we want you here. Burden me all you can before you end your life or do something stupid. Yeah. And, and, and oftentimes, I mean, even as adults, right, we don't reach out for people for help because we don't want to be that burden. Yeah. Right? It's knowing when things are feeling heavy, when, when you're feeling trapped inside of yourself, when you don't feel like you have an outlet that's your indicator to reach out to somebody right and just like you said we are you and I are here we would love to take these calls we would love to meet up with kids that's that's our passion yeah right and and it's almost like it's not a client therapist relationship right no we're building families and we're building friendships right it's completely different than come and sit in my office and on this grungy couch no 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 (laughs) right no let's start changing the dynamics here this is not a scary place and we're actually I think pretty cool people (laughs) so and then just to the parents as well is you know know when things are getting to that point where where you feel like you you're not in control anymore where you're struggling where you see your children struggle or starting to be rebellious right start to notice these subtle signs before they get out of control yeah i feel like one thing maybe when we were growing up they uh, the, the saying was they'll grow out of it i don't think kids are growing out of it like they used to yeah so 
don't wait too long yeah absolutely you know it's always better to be safe than sorry yeah and, and that definitely applies here right? awesome so. well thank you so much for coming on it was amazing i loved what you had to say this has been another stand fight podcast my name is rob eastman you can find me on instagram at coach eastman eight or at tattooedlifecoach.com. Again, I want to thank our sponsors, Plates and Pallets. You guys are amazing. Go check them out in Bountiful. Have you eaten there? I have. They're, it's dang it, huh? They're fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> they're yes. amazing people, huge mental health supporters. So we love you guys. Go check them out, 4th North, 5th West, Bountiful. Thanks again.